Well, as I've, as I've already said, we are about to enter into a brand new series. We just finished up John last week, and now we're headed into, um, into a, a series on the books that have been called wisdom literature in the Bible. Now, I want to explain why we're taking this path. One of the things we noticed really early on about our church is that we have a lot of people who are on the way somewhere else. Right? We get a lot of folks, probably because we're connected to the, so close to the university, that's probably got something to do with it, but we, we get a lot of people who are here for a short time, training for something, one thing or another, and then, and then off to some other part of the world. And so we decided really early on, one of our goals as, as the elders, when we, when we think about preaching series, when we think about a, a plan for the next couple of years of, of, of our life unpacking God's Word together, one of the priorities we have is to try to expose people to as much of the Bible in its diversity as we can in a three-year window. We want to be tagging the bases of, of the Bible's diversity as, as often as we can. There's lots of different sorts of material. And it's easy if you don't put a lot of thought into it, it's easy to just gravitate towards the stuff that you really like or that's very easy to understand, to, to do things like the Gospel of John. Who doesn't like the Gospel of John, right? Stories about Jesus, great teaching about Jesus, encouraging things about what Jesus has done for us. Who doesn't like things like uh, the, the book of Genesis and the great stories about the patriarchs of the faith? Paul's letters even are, are as, as parts of the Bible go, pretty easy to understand. It's easy to just spend a lot of time there and what's comfortable. But what we want to do is be, is be experiencing the wide range of stuff that's in the Bible. And something we've never considered coming up on five years as a church is this genre that's called the wisdom literature. So we want to take the, from now to the end of the year to unpack as much of that literature as we can. That means we try to sprinkle in not just long series like the book of John, which took us over a year to complete, but some that are shorter, that cover a lot more ground in a shorter time so that we can just introduce you to what's there. So over the next few months, we're going to do a series on Proverbs. That's what's coming next. It'll take about three months to do the book of Proverbs. We're going to do the book of Job in just over one month, 40-something chapters. But we're going to take a bird's eye view and do it in about a month. We're going to spend a little over a month on the book of Ecclesiastes, another longer book, but, but one that we want to give you a sense of on the whole so you can do more study for yourself. And then we're going to spend some time in the book of James because it's in the New Testament. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not one that's often thought of or maybe not always thought of as, as a wisdom book, but it reads a lot like Proverbs. If you've ever read James, you notice that it's a lot of really nuts and bolts kind of practical wisdom, but it's on the backside of Jesus. So we want to go there to understand how the coming of Christ shapes our our attempt to try to live wisely in the world. So that's where we're headed. That's what the wisdom books are. It makes sense to start with definitions. And this is where the trick, this is where the trouble comes in. Before we get into the books, it makes sense to just, we're going to be using the word wisdom a lot. We want to know what I mean or others mean when we say wisdom. But, but defining wisdom is really tough. It's like trying to define something like love or happiness or justice, these big concepts that are tough to whittle down into a, 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 a package that makes sense. People have tried. What is it that binds all these books together? Why would you say that Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and James look like each other? What makes them wisdom books? People have tried. Here's one, uh, here's one definition that I read. It worked pretty well. Wisdom, a wisdom book or wisdom literature or wisdom in the Bible is the ability to cope. I like that one. Wisdom is the ability to cope. Wisdom is, is getting by in the world as it is. 
Another person said that wisdom is a capacity. Wisdom is like a capacity. So here we got to distinguish something you might be thinking. When you hear wisdom, you might be thinking, oh, it's about intelligence. Wisdom is something smart people have. But no, not, not as the Bible defines it. Wisdom is not about your IQ. You can know a ton and be foolish. In fact, you could memorize, literally, you could memorize the entire book of Proverbs, know all of the Proverbs by heart and be a fool. It's not about IQ. It's not about what you know or how much. Wisdom is not, wisdom uses knowledge. It builds on knowledge, but it isn't just knowledge. Wisdom is a skill. That's the best I can do for defining it. What is wisdom? Wisdom is a skill. A skill of living well in the world like it is. The world as it is. Wisdom takes the world as it is and lives well inside of it. Wisdom is a skill. But it's easier... so, so I'm trying to define it. At this point, I'm going to, get on, I'm going to move on from trying to define it. because I, You just can't do it that well. It's much easier to describe it. What is wisdom? Well, you could call it a skill of, in li- of living in the world as it is, but that, that in itself is, is not a great definition. It's, it's much easier to say, you know what? To borrow from Justice Stewart, I know it when I see it. I don't want to try to help you know it when you see it. Uh, we're gonna just, I, wanna, I wanna describe wisdom for you today. What is wisdom like? What are we gonna be talking about over the next few, few months together? And along the way, I'm gonna introduce to you on a real high level what these books are about so that we can start to get into them next week when we turn to Proverbs. Wisdom, wisdom is about how the world works. It's about where we fit into the world. It's about how to live well within the world. These are the concerns of wisdom. What I want to do is whet your appetite for it. And I'm going to use three Ps to help you remember it. All right? When you think about what wisdom is like, I want, you, I want you to think about wisdom as a posture, wisdom as a practice, and wisdom as a person. Wisdom as a posture, wisdom as a practice, and wisdom as a person. I'm going to start with wisdom as a posture. This is where it begins. The first thing you've got to know to understand what the Bible means by wisdom is that wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. That phrase, the fear of the Lord, occurs something like 60 times throughout the wisdom literature. It's all over the place. It, Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom, the foundation of it. Wisdom is about understanding what the world is like. It's about paying attention to the way the world works and knowing how to live within that world. I've said that already. And the most important thing you can notice about the world, the most important fact that shapes how to live well in the world is that God is God and you are not. All of wisdom starts there. That's what the fear of the Lord means. Now, what makes this truth so important? The fear of the Lord as the one who is God. The fact that he's God, meaning I am not God. Why so important? Let me give you a couple of reasons. Here's the first one. Why this matters so much? Why Proverbs says this is the beginning of wisdom? Well, if, if God's the creator, then the world's worth figuring out. That sound, maybe that sounds obvious. But I think it's really important. We have to mention it. So if there's someone who built the world, to work in a certain way, who did it on purpose because he wanted it this way, then that invites the activity of wisdom. It invites us to try to figure out how it works, to figure out what the order is that he set up, 
to try to understand it. It's worth the effort if there's an order there to be discovered. You guys know who Jackson Pollock is? Jackson Pollock, he was a, he was a, a celebrated painter uh, of the middle of last century. And his work looks like somebody spilled paint on a canvas. There's no brush strokes. I mean, maybe there is somewhere in his work. But what, what I most think of when I think of Jackson Pollock, is there's no brush strokes. It looks like somebody took a canvas and kind of dripped paint on it or slung paint on it. There's just colors scattered across it in little droppings. And, and you remember, maybe here, here's, a better, maybe here's a better way to get into it. You guys remember those Andre Agassi commercials a while back for the, I think it was like a Canon camera commercial? And he's taking uh, tennis balls with paint and he's just whacking them into, the, into a big canvas on the wall. Nod your heads if you know what I'm talking about. Man, like half of you guys. Am I just that old already? Maybe those were in the 90s. I don't know. Um, so anyway, Andre Agassi's just hitting tennis balls against this big white wall. And what you get after he's done that is a Jackson Pollock painting. Now, the reason I mention this is that I, I'm, I'm willing to admit, actually, that there's some order in this painting of this genius that I'm not seeing. Now, now, to my untrained eye, if I, look at, if I look at a Jackson Pollock painting and I look at somebody who spilled paint accidentally on a canvas and ruined it, I'm not going to be able to tell the difference. But if, an, if someone tells me that this one was created by someone recognized by the guild as a master, then that's going to invite me to try to understand it. I want to know what he was going for. Why did he make the choices that he made? I may never get there, but it at least is worth trying it. If, if you told me that a five-year-old just spilled paint over here, that's going to be the end of it for me. I'm not going to investigate it anymore. The fact that there's a creator behind it invites investigation. That's the first reason it ma- that, that the fear of the Lord is the starting place for wisdom. Wisdom is a posture that recognizes there's an order here that was put here on purpose. I need to figure out what that is. The second reason it's so important, though, is that if God is God, if God is the creator, then we are his creatures. We are limited we are not God. We're part of the world that we're trying to understand. We're not controlling that world. We're not standing over that world. Our job is to try to figure it out, but what we find is what we find. We are not in the position of those who could find something and then try to change it. So wisdom begins with recognizing that there is an order in this world that's bigger than I am, that I'm not going to be able to see fully, that I am not going to be able to peer into the mind of the creator who set up this world. There is always going to be a limit to what I can understand. And because I'm part of this world, because I'm part of what a, someone else, the Lord, has set up, it would be foolish of me to try to push back against that order. What I want to try to do is figure it out and live with it, not redesign it. That's where wisdom starts. Here's the way one pastor put it. Your pastor here in, in Nashville has written a great book on Proverbs, Ray Ortland. He describes the fear of the Lord as letting God be God to you. I like that. The beginning of wisdom is a posture where you're willing to let God be God to you. Now, starting from there, starting from that posture, what is wisdom in practice? Wisdom is far more than a posture. Wisdom is not just a sort of detached observation. Wisdom is not something you can get 
hunkered down in your library carol. Wisdom is not an object of study that a scholar can master. Knowledge is useful to it, but it's a whole lot more than just knowledge. Wisdom is about looking closely, about seeking knowledge for sure. You always got your antenna out. You're always watching, always observing, always collecting information. It is about looking closely, but it's about looking closely so that you can live well. Wisdom is about looking closely and living well. Or as I've put it on your worship guide, if you're following along on the outline, wisdom is about asking good questions, gathering information, and making good decisions. Whatever information you get is always aimed at making good decisions in life. It's a bridge-building activity. And here's another way to think about it. The Bible's full of laws, of do's and don'ts. And it's full of truths about who God is, about what God has done. It's got promises in it and covenants. The Bible's full of things that are clearly told to us like that. And wisdom starts by trying to understand everything that God has said. It takes that stuff into account. But there's also a whole host of things that every single day of every single one of your lives are going to bring that are not addressed in the do's and don'ts of the Bible. That are not teased out in the promises that God has made for you or the covenant that he's bound himself to you with. There's a whole host of our lives, a huge area of our lives where there's a gap between what we're experiencing and what God has told us. And wisdom falls into this gap. Wisdom bridges it. Wisdom takes hold of what God has told us about himself and about the world and about what he wants and what he's going to do. And wisdom translates that truth into what's real in your life right now. So you've got some big truths that are true for everybody. God created all that is. God has entered the creation as Jesus, in Jesus to save us from ourselves. Big truths, true for everybody all the time. And then over here, you've got each one of your lives, which is entirely unique. And what you need is some help bridging that gap into the uniqueness of your life. None of, your, none of our lives is scripted for us. And that's where wisdom comes in. Here's an analogy that maybe will help. So if you have a driver's license, you had to study for a driver's test that you passed. In that studying process, you had to learn the rules of the road. You learned what the signs mean, you know, the yield sign and the stop sign and the, uh, and the be careful for the deer sign. And, and, and you learned about to, to watch out for speed limits and why those are so important. You learned what the yellow, green, and red lights mean. You learned the rules and you learned about your car. You learned about its instruments and how to, how to operate it well. You take in a lot of knowledge, right? That's where it starts. You don't drive without that knowledge. You'd be a danger to everybody, including yourself. But the actual act of driving is far, far different. The act of driving takes wisdom. Is in the act of driving, what you've got to do is take all the stuff that you've studied, and then you've got to make a decision. Should I run this yellow light or not? Should I turn in front of that oncoming traffic or is it too close, coming too fast? Should I try to make it up that ice-covered hill? In a Corolla. Tires aren't great. Got like two cylinders. Wisdom takes the information as a driver. It's collecting information. 
The stuff that's in the te- that, that I was tested on, it's all there. But in the moment, I'm judging everything that I'm seeing. The oncoming traffic, the scale of the hill, the, the, the thickness of the ice, the power of my car, the fact that it has two-wheel instead of four-wheel drive. I'm taking all of that, and I'm making a decision in that moment that my test could not have prepared me for. It takes wisdom to drive well. That's the kind of wisdom that God is giving to us in these books for life. The ability to drive well in light of what's true. So wisdom takes what's unique about life. It takes what's unique about every life and every stage of life and every situation of every day. The stuff for which there is no master manual. Wisdom takes that stuff and, inter- and injects truth into it for good decisions. So here's the way Proverbs puts it in Proverbs 3. In all your ways, in all your very unique ways, acknowledge him. That's wisdom. And that's what we see modeled in the wisdom books. What I want to do here under this section, this wisdom in practice section, is, is, is really, really briefly tell you about the different wisdom books that are coming in the rest of our series this year. Because these books, what they do is model wisdom in practice. Here's what it looks like for, a really, for some really wise men to be working through the complexities of life in light of the truth of who God is. That's what Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes and James are doing. They're showing you what it looks like. They're not scripting it for you. They're not giving you laws that are going to be easily translated directly into your life. In most cases, that's not true. They're modeling for you what it would look like for you to take the truth that you have from God and translate it into a life that's well-lived. Proverbs is probably the best known. If you think about wisdom literature, you think about Proverbs as the book full of wisdom. And people like it. Uh, because unlike, unlike the law, right, if you read the law books like Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers, those things are so foreign to us because they are full of rituals and measurements and sacrifices and feasts and stuff that are just not part of our experience. You have to work hard to get what you need out of those books. Or unlike the history books of the Old Testament where you've got all these names that are hard to pronounce and places that you don't recognize that aren't even called that anymore and, Uh, You've got all this stuff that is very foreign to you, separating you from it. You come to Proverbs, and it's timeless. It doesn't have any of that stuff. It has, it has, it's easy to relate to, pithy and quotable. It has phrases that are, that have, have shaped you even if you don't recognize it because they're part of our collective consciousness here. Proverbs doesn't have any of those customs that don't, that don't make sense. Proverbs, it was Twitter before there's, there was Twitter, right? It's nice and tight and memorable and punchy. It gets right to it. And Proverbs deals with questions that everybody asks. Proverbs deals with questions like, what sort of person should I marry? What's the difference between good sex and bad sex? What should I do with my money? How can I manage my relationships in a way that works well for me and for the others? Proverbs deals with what you should do with your, with your words. Proverbs addresses the question, what would happen if I were to just stay in bed all day? <laughs> Proverbs is real life. Proverbs is good at the what questions that face us all, all the time, every day. What's true? What should I do? These sorts of questions are the, uh, the, the way we make all sorts of decisions, and they're the terrain of wisdom. Wisdom fears the Lord, believes that he made the world, 
that he set it up to operate on his design and that he put me into that world. What it means, what wisdom means, what fear of the Lord means is that if I'm operating in my life on a world that was made by my God to work on his principles, and if I'm part of it, if he put me here to work in this world, work and live in this world, then there's no part of my life that I can afford to shelter from him. No part that's mine to do with what I will cut off from what he might want. Fear of the Lord says, my life is an open book. And there is no part of it that is private between me and him. There is no part of it that I can afford to say, not going to seek wisdom here. Wisdom is, wisdom of Proverbs is an opening up of your life and making sure that everything in it, you're asking, what would fear of the Lord look like here? Hope that makes sense. But wisdom is even more than that. There are bigger questions, other questions. Proverbs is good at the what questions. What is this thing like? What should I do or be? There are bigger questions. And asking bigger questions is part of the Activity of wisdom too. What wisdom in practice looks like. Proverbs is nuts and bolts. It's, it's relentlessly, minutely practical. Proverbs makes the point over and over that nothing's too small. Nothing about your life is too small to seek what's best in that thing. If you use a forest and trees analogy, Proverbs describes a lot of the trees of life. But wisdom also asks you about the forest. Wisdom is, also, wisdom is also asking the big questions of life. Not so much just the what questions, but the why questions behind the way the world works, behind who we're supposed to be in the world. Wisdom is, uh, wisdom is also about the meaning of life. Wisdom is bigger than what you could ask Siri. So, you can ask, Siri is great. I mean, it's incredible at the what sorts of questions, the kinds of stuff that's in Proverbs. You can ask Siri for information about a whole bunch of stuff. But you ask Siri, you know guys know what I'm talking about when I say Siri, it's the, uh, the sort of assistant that's built into an iPhone operating system where you can ask it questions like, uh, what time is the concert tonight, Siri? And it'll tell you. Or, um, you know, what's the closest hamburger restaurant, Siri? And it'll tell you. What's the weather going to be like today? Proverbs kind of questions. You ask Siri, if you ask Siri, why do I exist? You know what Siri says? I can't answer that. Get it? Emmanuel can't. That's what it says. I can't answer that. If you ask Siri, if you ask Siri in a slightly different way, what is the meaning of life or remember exactly how I phrase it to get this answer. You play around with it. It's fun. <laughs> One of the exist- existence questions, Siri's answer is, well, the chocolate is not going to eat itself. <laughs> Siri is not set up to answer big questions. Now, why am I, I spending so much time on this ridiculous analogy? I think, there's, I think it's a powerful parable, actually. I think it's a very powerful parable of our modern life. 
Because there are certain questions of wisdom that had to get answered for Siri to be possible. We, in the last 20, 30 years, have seen one of the great transformations in all of human history. The technological age is on us, and it is transforming the way we live our lives. And nothing illustrates that better more clearly than, than these iPhone-type products that have all of this information in the palm of your hand the asking of a question. It's a remarkable achievement. It took wisdom to come up with this device. It meant knowing how the world works, how its laws work. It meant figuring out physical realities and, and figuring out software-type problems, engineering solutions. It took wisdom to build something like this that's useful. But for all our technological change, we are nowhere closer. Not, we are nowhere closer on the meaning of life. On the meaning questions, on the why questions behind the what. But wisdom goes there. Goes there especially in Job and Ecclesiastes. Job and Ecclesiastes balance out the neatness of Proverbs. Proverbs that you're going to see Everything is packaged up so nice and neat and clean. And it, and it draws from a lot of things that are generally true. If you do these things, things will go well with you. It's trying to help you recognize the pattern of the world. If you live in a certain way, there are certain, if, certain, uh, certain way if your life can be a cause of certain effects that often come, good things. But we all know from experience that sometimes that just isn't how it works out. Sometimes the hard things in our lives, the large ones and the small ones, just can't be traced straight back to something you did wrong. One of the biggest questions that all of us ask is why and why is there so much suffering in the world and why does it look so senseless? Tell me what the little kid did to deserve death by drone strike what is, where does this senseless suffering come from everybody has to ask that question in moments of clarity Proverbs doesn't fully answer it it doesn't get at it Proverbs is about order but all of us can see there is a deep and pervasive disorder in the world this doesn't look right it isn't right and that's what Job is all about. That's the question of Job. And Job asks it with brutal honesty. That book is not trying to whitewash anything. There are no easy answers in that story. It faces up to the fundamental question that all of us ask. It stares it down and goes for it. Ecclesiastes takes up another one. So if Job is about wisdom, what, is, what good is wisdom when we suffer? When things aren't going well? Ecclesiastes takes up another question. What good is wisdom when you have everything you want and it's still not enough? When things are going well and I'm still incomplete, unhappy, dissatisfied. Ecclesiastes is written from the perspective of a man who had it all. He had wisdom, he had fame, he had money, he had success. Everybody loved him and no one ever said no. He had all the pleasure that anyone could ever ask. And he had it all, he looks at his life, He recognizes that he lives under the sun. That though there is eternity placed in his heart, he is going to die just like everybody else. And he asks, what's the point? Vanity. That's the key word in Ecclesiastes. All is vanity. 
Everything is reduced to a striving after wind. And there is nothing new under the sun. That's the point of Ecclesiastes. When it's going well and it still isn't enough, what does wisdom have to say to me then? We're going to face that question. These are, these are wisdom in practice. Wisdom takes truth about God, also collects all sorts of information from living in the world, and it asks the questions that have to be asked, and then tries to make good decisions about living in light of those questions. That's wisdom in practice. And what I want to do in the last couple minutes here is point you towards one more layer that all along in our study we're going to be trying to peer into. Wisdom in person. We're Christians. Followers of Jesus. And that means that we can't come to a text like the text of Proverbs or Job or Ecclesiastes as if Jesus didn't come. And we're always asking of Old Testament texts, how do these texts help us understand Jesus and why he was necessary? How does Jesus help us understand what's going on here? We're always doing that back and forth as Christians. And I think that's what Jesus wants from us. He modeled this. One of my favorite stories about Jesus is in Luke chapter 24. So this is after Jesus is raised from the dead. And he shows up with some of his disciples who are walking to a city called Emmaus. And he just hangs out with them. He walks with them on their journey. They don't recognize him. And they're telling him all the stuff about how their leader that they had hoped would redeem Israel had just been killed. Telling them that, that, that they don't know what to think now. And what Luke says... Luke chapter 24, verse 27, is that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, starting there, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures, including Proverbs, including Job, including Ecclesiastes, in all the scriptures, Jesus showed them the things concerning himself. One of our jobs, anytime we come to the Old Testament, one of our jobs in this series, trying to unpack these wisdom books, is going to be to ask, what did Jesus tell his friends about himself when he told them about Job and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs? And I want to give you a teaser. I want to give you a three-part teaser. Here's where we're going to look for Jesus as the wisdom who comes in person. Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus embodies in his person Everything that was meant in Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes. He is wisdom come to us. How? What does that mean? Here's your three-part teaser. Just to get your wheels turning. We're going to go much, in much more depth in the weeks to come. Here's the first thing. What does it mean that Jesus is the wisdom of God? Well, one of the things it means is that Jesus lived the model life of wisdom. In his life... And in his teachings, Jesus was the wise man. He's the one we can look to to understand what wisdom is more clearly than we ever could just by reading Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes. He lived the life of fearing the Lord. He recognized his dependence on his father and didn't do anything that his father didn't set out for him. He lived in complete submission to his father's will. He taught in the way that the wisdom books teach, using stories and Lots of uh, colorful images. Lots of pithy sayings. Jesus was the wise man. When we look at him, we understand better the kinds of things Proverbs and the other books are getting at. That's the first thing. The news gets better than that. 
Because if all we did was look at Jesus as a model, then we might actually just, it would just drive us more quickly to despair, right? Because we're going to look at Jesus and, and see the gap between him and his wisdom and us and our lives and the way that we perform. Seeing Jesus as an example is not anybody's idea of a way to feel better about themselves. So Jesus as wisdom of God means more than just he's an example. The beauty of Jesus as the wisdom of God is that Jesus became the wisdom of God for fools who deserve to die. On my best day, I'm a fool. On my best day. I forget my limits. I push back on God's order. I would prefer to rope off part of my life for myself. Here's another way to say it. I live every day of my life some portion of my life, I am living as if God isn't there. Which is to say that I live like a fool. And we're going to read through Proverbs on anger and speech, sexual purity, good friendship, sloth, and so many other topics. And every time we come to a topic like that in Proverbs, we're going to be reminded over and over again that we are not wise. And we know how the world works. We know that more often than not, you, you reap what you sow. We know because Proverbs is going to tell us over and over again that what the fool sows is destruction. That foolishness deserves death and that the rewards of wisdom are eternal life. Jesus is the wisdom of God because he came not just to live the wise life, but to die the death of fools. To die the death that we in our foolishness deserve so that we get to enjoy the rewards that His wisdom deserves. Paul, one of the sections in one of his letters in Colossians chapter 2, one of the ones where he refers to Jesus as the wisdom of God, he says that in Jesus all the wisdom of God is hidden. All the treasures of God's wisdom are hidden in him. And right after that, same chapter, Colossians 2, Jesus, or Paul gets more specific about what he means. And you, Paul writes, who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That is the wisdom of God hidden in Jesus and offered as a gift to a world full of fools like me. And the last thing, what does it mean that Jesus is the wisdom of God? Wisdom in person. What are we going to see? That's the last one. Jesus is the answer to wisdom's great questions. Wisdom's greatest questions. What are we supposed to do with all of the suffering in the world? What are we, how are we supposed to live a meaningful life when death is the end of it? Hebrews says that God has spoken before in the prophets and in the law, but now he has finally spoken in his Son. Job's great angst in facing suffering was what felt to him like the silence of God. Where are you? Job asks, just like all of us. Jesus is God speaking directly into the darkness of our suffering and our death. 
with a word that doesn't remove all of our questions, but that says to us, for whatever we can't see, what we can see is this. God has not isolated himself from our suffering, but has joined us in it. He has taken on the pain that we all know too well, and he has made it his own. He has overcome it by his death and resurrection so that our pain doesn't have to define us. And for whatever we may not understand, we understand this. God has spoken to us with a promise that there is no suffering that is so dark, he can't make it beautiful. He can't bring redemption out of it, new life even. And he has told us in our meaninglessness, in our death-defined living, that Jesus lives again. He is risen. He is the first fruits from the dead. So go out and do your work and do it with joy because this isn't all you are. It is only a taste of what you will be when you join him on the other side of the grave. Jesus recasts all of life, all of wisdom's concerns as God's answer to us, to our main questions. And our job as we unpack these books week by week for the rest of the year is going to be to see him there, to see Jesus, to have our hearts more prepared to savor him and his goodness because we took wisdom seriously. God help us as we do it. Will you pray with me? Lord, we need you to speak to us because there is so much about our lives that we just don't understand. And we want to live in a way that honors you, that's pleasing to you, that celebrates what you've offered us in Jesus. Help us through these books, through this series, to see you as you are and to live well as your children, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.